Hey, what's up you epic human and welcome to season three, episode three of the Inside Out podcast and I am your host, Kira McCullough. Thank you so, so much for being part of this podcast. I am so, so excited to have this conversation with you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Kira. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. No, I was, um, do you know what, since I've been, I've been following your journey for, um, since you've been uh, OT leader and uh, just completely blown away and inspired by your courage, your honesty, your vulnerability, your strength, your determination, and I could go on and list so many more. Uh, but yeah, I just was completely blown away. And I just said, I would love to have a conversation with you. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Thanks so much for all that. It was uh, an amazing um, thing to be involved in. And it kind of blew me away, really, how much um, other people took from it. Because I suppose, really, when you're joining it, it's a very self-serving thing that you're doing. But to be able to have that kind of effect on other people was amazing. Like, and I never realized it was going to happen. So, yeah, it was a really big bonus for me for okay. that to happen, you know? Yeah. And you you inspired so many, you know, you, you say self-serving, but you you serve so many. Like, you you give back to so many with your honesty and your vulnerability. So, um, so yeah, you're a legend. Um, <laughs> talk to me, before we kind of delve into, I suppose, Operation Transformation and, and why you decided to go for it, I'd love for you to take our listeners back and maybe remind us of your journey from from kind of I suppose let's go back maybe a couple of years and maybe come towards I suppose that that decision to join Operation Transformation so what was the journey like before? Um, So I suppose really it goes back to I was um, always quite a chubby teenager, you know, and I remember waiting and waiting and waiting until it was that time where you could actually go visit a GP without your parents being with you. And I saved up money and I went off to the GP and I I don't think it was 16 at the time. I'm not quite sure. I think it was where you could go to a GP without him having to tell your parents. And I went into him and he basically just said to me that it was puppy fat and it would go eventually. And I was big boned and that kind of thing. And um I've came out very upset and deflated from it like because I felt like he didn't really help me at all and then this was my teenage years came in and uh you know I really I was I was very social I wasn't very academic at all like I mean school was basically my social life that was it because you remember this was back in the 80s <laughs> where hey, you only had the one car there was no mobile phones we had just about gotten a house phone at the time you know so like school is where I saw my friends and I didn't really see them at the weekend and we didn't go for shopping trips or anything like that it wasn't a done thing back then um so then I kind of put my weight to the back of my head. I was always the bigger girl in the group. And I suppose that's when I started doing the, I'll do the jokes first before you get the chance to do them. You know, that self-deprecating kind of thing that you do, you know. So there used to be this girl that used to hang around with us and she'd make room for a small thing. And I always used to feel so big compared to her, but I would always keep it down. And, you know, I, I always felt like, oh, sure, yeah, I'll be your bodyguard, you know, you know, and I would, you know, do that kind of thing. 
make fun of myself you know if I was trying to squeeze out between chairs in a pub or whatever you know I'd say to someone oh this lads it's not twiggy that's walking behind you here you know this kind of thing like you make the joke of me first before somebody else would do that that went on for a long went on that still goes on I still do that you know that's not something that I've actually gone out of the habit of doing it um and then I met Richard and uh we uh got married and we had the kids and that and I suppose um, my weight didn't become as important. Like I still worried about it and I still wanted to look nice and that, but um, it was more an, an aesthetic thing really for me at that stage, you know, and it still was. And then I had the kids and then I felt like, oh God, maybe I should be given a good example here not to be so heavy, you know, to be eating a healthy diet. And I think if anything I've done, I've actually turned them off healthy eating, to be honest with you, because I did so many weight loss classes. I tried every type of weight loss class that's out there. I did them all. I even did the ones, you know, where you only drink the shakes and you have these flapjacks that you needed to drink like a gallon of water just to be able to swallow the blasted thing down, you know. Um, but it was when I became a nurse and I saw really what um, being overweight does to your health and to be honest Kira, it has absolutely frightened the life out of me okay. with everything that that is associated with being overweight and it's the fact that then um if I continued on the way that I am I'm not going to be here never mind for my grandchildren or my children mm. you know that um that was going to happen and I had been so busy with Chloe because we had Chloe and Eve, as you know. I, I was, we'll go back to that later, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was just such a serious time, and I I had a different priority than myself, and the weight really, really piled on me mm. at that stage as well. And I've gone up and down and up and down over the years, but it's really what the end thing, what made me go for Operation Transformation was the effect that the weight was having on my health. And I hadn't at that stage yet, to my knowledge, but when I went for Operation Transformation, my bloods came back and it turned out that I was actually pre-diabetic. Mm. You know, so um, that's scary. So I'm no longer pre-diabetic thanks to Operation Transformation and those changes that I made to my diet at the time. And um, I'm managing, I have low vitamin D levels as well, which the majority of Irish people do. Mm. You don't get enough Here's sun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so um but it was actually so low that i've actually been prescribed um vitamin d it's a prescription so um, i've been on that now so i'm managing to control that now as well you know but um thankfully everything else is 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 going well for me and you know the more weight i lose more benefits going to be to my health in the long run and my children will have me around for a bit longer you know um thank you so much for sharing all that i'm i'm always amazed with you know your honesty and your vulnerability but I'd like to touch back on kind of when you are 16 to, to go back again if that's okay because yeah. I am a full believer in we tell ourselves stories okay and the stories we tell ourselves they define how we act and how we show up for the world and what we believe to be true about ourselves but you were so aware at 16 you know that you know I don't want to be like this or or this is kind of I suppose I want to change this. I want, I don't know how to happen. So you went to the doctor, you went to kind of change it and then got told this is just who you are. Yeah. It's just it's part of you. And it's like, so almost it's like putting you down for wanting to try and, and better yourself at, at that young age. Um, 
and for me I suppose like I'm hearing that and I'm going okay Jesus like if what did you believe about yourself at that young age like what was the story you started to tell yourself at, at that young age um that I needed to compensate with my personality to make up for my physical appearance yeah. really you know so I was uh social I was like always out I would be um the laugh the crack you know I would be making the jokes about myself and unfortunately at times I probably was a little bit deprecating towards other people as well you know I was 16 I didn't really know at the time you know what I was at you know um it's it's something that I regret you know but it was um it was all just to deflect off myself really and and that was it and and I became um the person that people liked being with you know they they thought I was good crack and that you know and but anything to differ from from how I I looked really you know and I was popular you know I was I was popular with um everybody yeah. my daughter is standing there I can't say too much more <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, uh, no like and it, it's it, I'm yeah. always just I think we can harbor these things from from such a very young age um, and these thoughts and beliefs about ourselves that you know when we get older they're still there unless we challenge them so mm -hmm. you have totally your story absolutely solidifies what it means to be a resilient human being and what it means to, to put yourself first especially in the last couple of years and for me it's you're now writing and changing a new story for yourself. You're writing a new narrative for yourself. And that's so, so powerful. And that's kind of the ethos behind this podcast is to, you know, the inside out. It's how do I make myself feel better and more confident, more secure, more safe on the inside so that it reflects the outer world. Um, yeah. So take me to the time, um, if it's okay with your permission, we might go, you touched on it there with, with Chloe and Eve. Um, oh. what, was, what was that time like for you? Um, Chloe and Eve were born, uh, they were twin girls and they were born at 26, 27 weeks almost. Um, and unfortunately, Eve was still born. Mm. Um, Chloe spent a lot of time in the neonatal unit in Limerick. She was almost six months there. And then she got transferred to the regional and then we were allowed to take her home uh, in September. So they were born in March. And she didn't come home until September of 2002. So it was a time where myself and Richard spent a lot of time sitting beside incubators, sitting beside cots and beds uh, in, in, sorry, in hospital. Um, it was a time where my, our other son, Tommy, he was only 18 months old when they were born and he was passed, he like, he was literally left with whoever could take him. Um, at that time and we often had to sneak away to leave him there because he would get upset us at us leaving and it was a very very stressful very stressful time um, and it was a time where I didn't look after myself and I didn't realize um, actually the damage I was doing to myself at that time I literally lived on Red Bull and Mars bars for about five years and um, Chloe came home. I suppose the thing, the big thing was what what how sick she was when we took her home was that myself and Richard, we weren't allowed to take her home until we had actually passed um CPR. 
we had to be trained in CPR in order to be able to take her home. And that was, I suppose, what made me realize that I'm bringing home a very, very sick little girl here, you know, and this is now our job to make sure she stays fit and healthy and alive, mm. you know, and it was, um, extremely extremely like we thought the six months when she was in the hospital was a stressful it was more stressful when she came home she had this thing called an apneic monitor that we used to attach to her at night time and it had a blue light on it and if she stopped breathing it would alarm off or if the the actual um it was like a sticky you'd stick it to their abdomen so once she was breathing her abdomen was going up and down so it was monitoring that but if she stopped then it would it wouldn't take it anymore and an alarm go off and this blue light would go off inside in the room and uh, but sometimes the actual monitor would become disconnected and it would go off for no reason so we lived on our nerves like she had that for six months after coming home you know and it was um like it was stressful and then she had colic as well when she came home. So that was another stress on top of it. <sighs> there was a lot, mm. a lot went on with taking care of her and she was admitted to hospital many times. There was many times where we actually had to administer CPR on her, call an ambulance, you know, to bring her into the hospital and, and all that. Um, then she, was in ICU several times, um, both here and in Dublin. She was actually having an operation in Dublin because she used to um, aspirate. So that would, when the food would come up, the, the food pipe, we'll call it, and go into the lungs. She would aspirate into the lungs, almost like, you know, when you drink something, it goes down the wrong way, but hers would come up and then go down back down the wrong pipe. So she was having an operation to have this fix it's called a flundamication so she was having that to have, have it fixed but it didn't succeed and she actually coded on the table on them and she ended up in ICU in Temple Street and I was pregnant with Grace actually at the time uh, my mother and my sister were with me and um, it was uh, like a such a stressful time in in Dublin and I actually ended up in Holland Street that night <laughs> just from the stress you know from and, and everything so there was a lot of ongoing things and with Chloe so I suppose we were so busy with Chloe to be honest with you Kira I think grieving for Neve was really put on a back burner for a long time and it was really a year later when I began to develop this very dark cloud and that's the only way I could describe it this very dark cloud came over me and I changed as a person I became a bitch no word, no other word could describe it. I was horrendous to everyone, everyone around me. The only people I think I was actually kind to were my own children. I think even Richard would agree with that. You know, I wasn't very good. I wasn't very kind to him either at the time. And it took a long time, a long, long time for that dark cloud to go away. Um, because I think it was because we were so stressed with Chloe. We had, I, well, I was we both were really stressed with Chloe and I know I definitely hadn't grieved for Neve at that stage um sometimes I wonder if I, if I still actually have properly yeah. to be honest you know because there's always something there's always something else that will come up in life that will take your focus off that and and you know there's always something more immediate to be thinking of 
But when uh, I did try counseling after Neve passed away, it didn't work for me. I think it was probably more that I didn't connect with the counselor mm-hmm. more than actually the counseling. Um, and it didn't really help much, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think really if you're going for counseling, you need to really have a good connection with your counselor. My counselor kind of frightened me a small bit, to be honest, which is she was a little bit, um, oh, I don't know how to even describe. It was just, it was just a bit odd. Her, her methods were a bit odd to me and, and I, did, I wasn't comfortable with her methods. So um, I didn't do any more counseling then after that. I think I just kind of put it to the back of my head again, got on with looking after Chloe. And then just before Chloe's fifth birthday, a month before her fifth birthday, one night, she passed away. It was very traumatic. I make it sound like she passed away peacefully and all that, but it was actually very traumatic at the time. And we um, had only had Grace the September before. So Grace was only five months old. So I've never had my whole family together at the same time. Mm. And it's never going to happen. This is why I'm not really fond of family photos these kind of things because I always feel like there's there's missing there's always two missing from them you know yeah so (laughs) I'm sorry now I'm rambling no you're great it was a lot it was a lot at the time you know a lot I can imagine um so when Chloe passed away we were absolutely devastated absolutely devastated and I just remember I was lost for those few days and my parents came up from Wexford, you know, when we rang them, they came up and Richard and my dad um, did the funeral arrangements and all that. I just remember the whole time, I just kept asking Richard, what do I do now? You know, what, what, what's, what's next? Like, you know, what, what do we have to do now? Or what should I do now? Because when Neve passed away, Richard had to do all that on his own because I was still in hospital. And I suppose I kind of, I hadn't done this before and he had so I think I just kept asking what do we do now and he was so good he was absolutely so patient and so good and he just kept you know right this is where we're going he put his hand on my back and he would just you know guide me along you know and um yeah he was beside me the whole way so he's a strength I you have no idea the strength that man is Mm. yeah it's unreal so thank god I had him (laughs) You know, because I needed him. Yeah, you can you could see that in in you know from from watching you we all as a family. Um, you know, in the relationship that you had, it's 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 incredible. You know, and that bond. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I know it's never easy. Um, and I know yeah. the last couple of months you probably had to share it an awful lot. So it doesn't get easier yeah. anytime you share it, and I understand that. Um, it but it's good to talk. You know, it's good to say it because I. I I suppose I didn't realize how many other people have the same story or similar stories, you know, and it was when um, I shared that story with Operation Transformation, the cards, Kira, I got from people in the same position and, you know, they might, they might have lost a, a grown child, an adult child, a baby, you know, um, a toddler, you know, um, like, you know, the the experience is always the same you know to lose a child it's not natural 
Mm, it's not the natural progression in the world and and it's like I said before there's no word for it you know I remember saying that um to Catherine Thomas on the on the television at the time um you know you've no parents you're an orphan you know you lose your spouse you become a widower a widower but you lose a child and you know there's nothing there's no name for it there's no word for it if you could actually say you know it's I'm a I don't know, a hat or something, do you know what I mean? Anything, like a term, a term, that's all it was. And I'm just, it's just amazing that nobody has actually Mm. come up with anything like that yet, you know? You know, all these intelligent, intellectual people out there and nobody can um, come up with a word for it, I suppose. Um, I resonated with your story so much because, you know, you speak about the dark cloud and it's something that has followed me around for the majority of my life you know I, I turned 30 uh recently and Happy birthday. a lot of people thanks very much a lot of people were asking me like you know uh, how do you feel about turning 30 and I was I've never been so excited to, to jump into a new decade because previous to that the first two decades were spent in absolute misery um really thinking that I wasn't enough and for me what I learned and discovered over the last five years in particular is that dark cloud that I felt um that I had no explanation for, that I didn't know what it was, was grief. Um, I lost my dad to suicide when I was one. And that story, I suppose, and that loss of a, a father figure in your life is something that just can't be put into words. You can't understand it. Um, and like you, family photos, all that kind of stuff, I, I get it. Um, and I never realized that that dark cloud for me was grief. And I'm only kind of discovering that now it's grief that I was never able to fully experience or grief that I was like fully experiencing, but just put it down to being depressed or anxious. Um, but the story I adopted out of that was that I wasn't enough. Um, and that's what I started telling myself for the majority of my life. So, you know, the work that I do now in, in being a mental health and wellbeing coach and, and you know, empowering and, and sharing these stories like your story on this podcast is bringing about change and bringing this absolute vulnerability of, of human beings, but, you know, encouraging people that they're not alone and let them know that they're not alone. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I'm, I'm sorry you felt that way. It actually breaks my heart to think that anybody would actually feel that way at such a, such a young age. We recently here in, in our community have lost a very beautiful young lady. And I just, I hate to think that she felt that way, you know. Mm. But, um, yeah, so it's just, you know, life is not supposed to be miserable for anyone. Nobody should ever feel less than, you know. Mm. And um, anything, anything that anybody can do to uplift somebody is, should be the most the goal for everybody in their life anything to uplift and I think particularly women need to uplift women more but um unfortunately we have um uh I suppose a society where that doesn't happen very often you know and you know if you you talk about being weak and you know anything like that it's it's kind of like oh just you know grow some balls I hate that term but that's what people say like you know or man up you know or like you know hang on women are very strong too you know and, and I think we need to realize that about ourselves and 
You know, we need to start uplifting people, never make anybody feel less than. And that's the most important thing. I think that's what I hope I've taught my children. You know, that's what I want to teach them. And if you can teach, you know, anybody, you know, that you have any influence over at all, that, then you've done a great job in your life. Love it. Um, I love it. You know, it's a, it's a really powerful message. And I totally agree because I've always been under the ethos of, of just show you fucking care. Like, and, and yeah. been, like I felt too much for a while, you know, that I had such a big heart all the time. But for me, it's now my superpower and I use it to, as much as I can to to just show you care because the world has gotten so busy um people are gone so busy that we don't take time to check in as much as we do so for me that's that's my it's my life's mission mission is to to show you care and and yeah. as you have is equally as is powerful as well um to bring you on to operation transformation if that's okay uh yeah. Yeah. what prompted uh signing up what, what what brought you to that uh, it was, <laughs> so I, I think in, in my family, I'm known as the girl that gets the notions, you know, um, I, I get notions and I it, it inevitably involves my family having to do stuff that they just take a deep breath. And to be fair to them, they jump in with two feet, you know, so <laughs> they do go with me. Um, so just like scrolling, to be honest, it was scrolling through Facebook late one night. Um, I was in the sitting room on my own and um, the uh, an advertisement for Operation Transformation saying that they were looking for people to apply came up and I, for God's sakes, and I, I just kept going, you know. But for some reason, I don't know what it was, Kira. Um, I don't know what you can call it, divine intervention or what was meant to be is meant to be or maybe even karma, I'm not quite sure. It wouldn't go out of my head. It just would not leave my head. So I went back and I said, sure, here, I'll throw it in and nothing will come of it anyway, unless it's supposed to. That's kind of what I thought. So I put it in and it's a lot of feckin' paperwork. I'll be honest, it's a big feckin' <laughs> form. So I kind of had a half filled in and you submit that part. And um, I said, sure, look, I'll finish it off or whatever. But then I kept getting emails to say it wasn't finished. <laughs> so I went back in, I finished it off because I said, at least now that'll shut them up. I won't be hearing about them anymore and that'll be it. And the next thing I know, I get a email wanting to know would I do a, a phone call, take a phone call from the series producer, Neve Marr. And uh, I said, oh, gosh, look, at I'll, I'll see. Oh, I, at that stage, I had only told Richard, Tommy, Grace and my friend Martina and Martina was like, oh, Jesus, you're going to get on it. <laughs> I'm telling you, she says, you're looking at you. she says, you're going to get on it, she said. And I'm like, oh, look, I said, we'll just see. And she, I'm telling you, she says, you're going to get on it. So I did the hour call, and then they asked if um, Richard and Grace would be willing to do a Zoom call with them as well, because Tommy was actually living in Scotland at the time. And they did, so they did that. And I got an email to say that I had passed to the next, phase where they will be narrowing down all their down into 20 and if I reach the final 20 I'll get a phone call so I'm inside and work one day and my phone rings and um, I'm trying to find a quiet room because I haven't told anybody in work you know that I've done this like you know so I'm trying to find a quiet room 
and go into this room anyway and uh, take the call and she tells me I've made it to the final 20 for the assessment day and I'm like oh my god <laughs> so excited and the whole lot but of course I'm in work and I have to be professional the whole lot so I try ringing Richard while I'm still in the room and of course he doesn't answer his phone and I come out and I'm like I'm it's like electricity is running through me I'm that excited about it you know so there was another nurse there. Uh, there was two nurses, actually. One of them was, is an Indian girl and the other one was an Irish girl. And I said it to the two of them. I said, you can't tell anybody now, but, you know. <laughs> so, um, of course, the Indian nurse, she had a clue what I was even going on about. <laughs> but um, Angela, she was so excited for me, you know. But she was very good. She kept it to herself. She never opened her mouth to anybody. And poor honey, she had a clue what I was talking about anyway. So she wasn't going to tell anybody, you know. <laughs> So I went up and I did the assessment and I thought I blew it because um, the beep test, I fell out of it. Like I, I didn't complete the beep test and I kind of felt after that, I really needed to show them that I was, you know, I am serious about this, that I'm determined here. So everything else I put like my heart and soul into every single other thing that I did. Except the press ups, because I hated the press ups. I can't, couldn't do a press up for anyone that particular day. So um, next thing I know, we get an email telling us, oh, yeah, wanting to know where we are going to be at particular that particular week. There's a full okay. week. And because it was lockdown, I wasn't going to be anywhere else, but either work here or collecting grace from school. So that's what I told him. And as it happened, it was the weekend after my sister was supposed to get married in November. And she had to postpone the wedding because of lockdown because they weren't going to be able to have the guests they wanted. So Richard happened to be off. And the next thing, the knock came on the door. And I was expecting fastways for a delivery for Christmas. And uh, we were cleaning the house actually to put up the Christmas decorations that night. And that's why I answered the door with the bottle cleaner <laughs> in my hand. And it was Catherine and I was like, oh my God, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Like I was just so thrilled absolutely thrilled to bits but when I really thought about why I was wanting to do it it really did come down to being there was three reasons right so the first one the most the utmost importance to me was to get my health I needed to sort out my way for my health because I don't want to become dependent on other people for how I live in my future mm -hmm. because I don't want my children to have to take time off work you know, to come on my knee or whatever. I don't want um, healthcare assistants or, um, you know, nurses inside and work relying on them for my personal hygiene or, you know, my toileting needs or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy to do it for other people, but I don't want that for me. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, the way you always do something for other people, but you yeah. don't want it for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was that was my main thing. And the second one was that um, I wanted to be satisfied with, with myself and my life because everything else is so good, you know. Mm. And the third thing was that I wanted to, without being signed and conceited or anything like that, but I wanted to look good. Yeah. You know, and I want I wanted to feel that finally I match Richard, you know, because that is a thing that has gotten me over the years you know I always felt you know physically to look at we didn't really match each other you know but you know I've learned that that's my own stupidest thing that he doesn't think that and I know that and it's not ever because he put any pressure or anything like that on me for anything 
to do anything to do that. Um, but that's just for me. So there are the three reasons why I did it. I love it. And, and what, I suppose, the relationship you have with yourself, how has that changed since being on Operation Transformation and, and doing the work? Today? Can you say that again, Kira? Sorry, I missed the point. No, you're grand. Um, the relationship you have with yourself, how has that changed since Operation Transformation and the journey you've been on? Um, so I suppose, really, I've, I've gotten to the stage now where I'm picking what I worry about. Um, Eddie described me as a, I have a negative narrative going on in my head. If I'm thinking about what you're thinking about me, I don't think good. I think, oh, I, like I could be, for instance, I mean, oh, she might be think, sitting there and thinking, oh, Jesus, would she not have wore a different color than mustard on the television? Do you know, or uh, could she not have, I don't know, combed her hair or, you know, something stupid. There'll always be a negative. It won't be okay, this girl asked me on this now and she's absolutely, you know, happy with how it went. Do you know that kind of way? It won't be that way. Or I'd probably think, oh, should I have said more about this or less about that, do you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I've decided I, I'm picking, if those negative things come into my head, I'm, I'm telling them to piss off, get out of my, I don't want to think about you. You know, you're not doing me any favors here. Also, I'm a bit of a catastrophe thinker as well where I think the worst I feel if I think the worst and the worst happens then I'm prepared for it yeah. but Eddie explained to me that if I do that like Richard could be 15 minutes late home from work I will have gone through the whole scenario of the guards calling to the door telling me he's dead. I've gone into the morgue to identify his body. I've come back out, I've written his eulogy. I have the prayers, the readings, whoever's saying them, the whole lot picked out. I even have his plot picked. Do you know that kind of way? And I think the worst. But what he explained to me is I go through that. My body goes through that too. And then Richard comes home and he's okay. And the process is just stopped. And my body didn't finish off that process and it feels it, you know, and that's where a lot of my issues lie in that I needed to be able to stop that. And I have for the most part, okay. in relation to myself, I have for the most part stopped the negativity in that. But at the same time, I have like last week was a horrendous week for me. Mm. You know, I really. I struggled, a grey cloud came on me last week, but last week would have been Chloe and Eve's 19th birthday. So with it also being their birthday, it would also be Eve's anniversary. And I was on nights and I got my period. And it was just like, okay, the world has decided to pick three fireballs and throw them at me at the same time. and. I succumbed, I became very low and I became, I wasn't able to drag myself out of it, you know? And I think um, I had posted on Facebook that I'd had a bit of a shit week and people's messages were so good and they were all telling me to be kind to myself. And I hadn't posted actually that it was the girl's birthday's mm -hmm. anniversary because I just felt that was kind of a private thing, yeah. you know? But um, I felt, okay, all I can do is just let this ride I just have to ride this out. There is going to be the end to it. It is going to, I am going to come out the other side of it, but at the moment, this is how I'm feeling and this is it. Now, there was rows and there was screaming matches and there was, you know, 
tension in the house because of it. But I think the lads know me so well now mm. that I, I think they know me better as well. My husband and my children know me better because of Operation Transformation as well, because I probably said things that I would never have said to them, you know. Yeah. Um, but because they know me better now, they knew like, OK, she doesn't mean anything by it. And we can just get on with it. It might be a bit harder for Grace, you know, to think that, you know, but we have that mother daughter teenage daughter mother relationship going on at the moment and I just need to ride this out too you know and that's that's what we'll do you know but as I say my relationship with myself is getting better mm. it is getting better I don't know will do you does your relationship with yourself ever be 100 yeah. percent I'm not sure if that's physically uh, mentally emotionally possible but I live in I live in hope that it is you know but I think it's really powerful that, you know, you've you've learned the, you know, the catastrophe thinking or the, yeah. the negative narrative that you had. It just doesn't serve us, you know, and I, I would have been yeah. kind of obviously very different situations, but the negative narrative and the catastrophizing and all that kind of stuff would have been absolutely to the forefront of 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 how I used to walk through life as well. And, you know, it's it's this idea of I always believe at any moment with one choice we have the power to change our lives and and your story is is so much like encapsulates all of that it's it's this decision to do something you know for you and it has catapulted you into you know a whole new life of yourself and and, and being your own best friend and I think fundamentally that's one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to be our own best friend would you agree with that statement or absolutely 100 percent because um who are you expecting to do it for you? Mm. Do you know? I mean, it's not up to your partner. It's not up to your children. It's not up to your parents to do that for you. You have gotten in, into a situation because of your life experience, your life, um, just situations and stuff. You've gotten here because of your life. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you then to pull yourself back into the path that you want to go down along. If you're not going to do it for you, then you can't expect somebody else to do it for you. That's not fair. You know, I mean, I could never expect Richard to do it for me. That's not his role. His role is to support me in how I continue forward. But it's not his role to say to me, Hazel, you know, you need, you need to calm down, you need to go for a walk, you need to do this, you need to do that. You already know you need to do these things. You know, he's not going to stand behind me and push me up the road, you know, that's not what, what he's going to do, you know. It is, you, you have to become your own best friend, absolutely 100%, because no one else is going to do that for you. You know, your own, your best friend, everybody has a best friend, even they are not going to do that for you. Yeah. And one of the greatest you know, things I ever learned was, uh, you know, I think we all have what's called the the negative narrative, you know, the the part of our minds that like to tell us what's wrong with us, that like to tell us we're not enough, all of this uh, negative dialogue that we have. One of the greatest things I did for myself was to give it a name. <laughs> so mine is Negative Nora. And for me, when I start to think negatively, either about myself, about life, whatever it is, I just say, not today, Nora, like I'm not, I'm not doing it. And you know, if I can get into the, I suppose, habit of literally picturing one person sitting beside me saying all those things that I'm saying to myself, 
it helps me disassociate myself because if I actually think about that I go okay what would my would I say this to my best friend you know yeah. things I'm saying to myself would I say this to my best friend and the answer is always no um so negative Nora allows me to really I suppose cultivate that relationship that actually you're not my friend that negative part of myself you're not somebody that I want to listen to you're not somebody going to give um power over me and that slowly happens over time where you're going to go not today negative Nora I'd be going around the house and I'd be like oh shut up negative Nora (laughs) (laughs) if anyone could hear me like they say I was um uh thinking that I'm to have two people or something but that has helped me massively um to just literally overcome that that negative thinking it's it's to just you know what it's not me it's it's just my thoughts they come and go but actually what I am is is what I do um who I am is what I do and and you know that's what I always say to my clients as well is we can think something about ourselves you know let's say for instance my I'm not good enough we can think that about ourselves but actually the fact that you think you're not good enough and you still try you still put yourself out there you still you know put yourself forward for things that's you know you're showing yourself that you are good enough so you need to look at your actions as well and and that's really powerful um what is the biggest thing that you've learned um in operation transformation or you know i suppose in your journey so far um i i think it is it, it is more that i have to become more self-reliant and not rely i mean i would rely on people um to validate what i do you know um but i i need to start I had this conversation. I know that there was an operation transformation leader a few years ago, Felicity, and I had this conversation with her recently. We, we we chatted, and I said I have to get to the stage where I admire myself enough mm. to be able to not need the validation from everyone else. It's lovely to get. It's lovely for people to say to me, "You've done fantastic." Like I had a lady say to me yesterday, "Where did you leave the rest of you?" You know this kind of thing you know that that is fantastic to hear and i love hearing it but i need to be a get and and i think i've gotten it um is to an admiration for myself you know and to say look here's you like i went like i mean if someone else said to me my story i'd be floored by them but because it's my own i suppose i never really thought much of it i just lived my life and then it just continued on but I think I had to look at myself from the outside. Yeah. I mean, if you were to sit there and tell me that at the age of 41, you went back to college and you did a four-year degree to become a nurse after and have a family and a house at home that, you know, you've had tragedy in your life and, you know, you've just had like so much going on and you went back and you did that. I'd be thinking, God, you're amazing. Like, mm-hmm. But I could never see myself as that. And even um, this word where people, you know, people say that I'm inspiring in that. I never sought to be an inspirational person. Never in my wildest dreams that I ever think anybody would be inspired by me. But you know what? They are. I'm chuffed to bits over it. And that's not, that. that's big for me to say that because I don't feel big headed saying it. Yeah. You know, whereas before I would have kind of said, oh, Jesus, no, you can't say something like that. You sound so big headed, mm. you know? But I actually admire myself now and I admire my achievements. And, you know, I'm 
I have moments where I um I can't cope. That there's times when I feel like last week that the world is throwing fireballs at me and I'm catching them, but I, I don't know what to do with them then, you know. And that that's going to happen. That's going to happen again. And I'm I'm in no doubt that that's going to happen. But at the same time, I got through it before. It passed. It will come again. I'll get through it, and that will pass as well. And that's what I need to keep reminding myself when I'm feeling low. This too shall pass. You know, there's nothing not fixable. You know, so you know you have to. You know, just just admire myself, have admiration for my achievements. And that's my big word, admiration. Mm. And that's all I wanted for myself. And for the most part, I have it, you know, for the most part, I have it. Yeah, it's epic. I actually have uh, this crucial past tattooed on my shoulder. So have you? Uh, yeah, it, it's just such a yeah. for me, it's such a great reminder because, yeah. yeah, it does remind me that in in bad days and tough days and when the world throws fireballs at you that they will end and it will be over soon. And yeah, it's also that reminder that when things are good to soak it up and to to really be grateful for it, because, again, you know, yeah, come and throw fireballs at you. So. It's just yeah. this lovely quote that that really takes me through. Um, last question, if if that's all right, um, because yeah. I won't keep you any longer. What advice would you give someone who is kind of starting out in their journey, um, who wants to make that first step, who who really wants to start on the road of maybe even fitness, but I suppose maybe let's just talk about the road of becoming their own best friend. What advice would you give them? Um, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to know why you're wanting to do this. There has to be a reason why you started something. You know, um, you and then throughout the whole thing, you need to remember this is why I started it. You know, and sometimes that thing changes as you go along. Your your decision to do something. Well, you know, you'll get an epiphany, I suppose, or one way or another. Like I started out doing this to lose weight, to become healthier. But in the meantime, I also started to become a self-believer, a self-admirer. And, you know, and that now is my main goal. If I didn't lose another pound for the rest of my life, I just want to be me and happy and admire myself. And that is what my goal is now so if you're starting out you may start out with one goal and you have to be honest you have to be brutally honest with yourself why you actually want this because if it's to do with you know oh I just want to fit into a dress for a wedding or I you know that kind of it's a weight loss goal or whatever that's not going to sustain you what's going to sustain you afterwards you know you need to have something that's a long-term thing for your if it's to clear your mind to have clearer thoughts and that fantastic because if you have that I feel if you have clear thoughts a clearer mind that will actually clear the road for everything else to become better in your life as well so be honest with yourself set yourself an honest goal and if your goal changes along the road that's fine it doesn't mean that the goal that you initially had is gone it's just that you have a new goal as well you know and that's that's what I would say. Be completely honest with yourself about what your goal is and don't be afraid to change it if you feel the need to. 
what and that's some really solid advice what's one just in the moments where you know you've kind of made a promise yourself to go out for a walk or to to do a particular thing for the betterment of yourself but when the negative Nora starts to come in uh what's something that you tell yourself in those moments um I have this thing that I say when I'm out walking you know when I when I'm um struggling Mm -hmm. and it's I'm powerful I'm strong and I'm loved and that's what I do and I believe that I am loved and that's what I do and I and I do it because not only that I am loved by others but I am loved by me too and this is why I'm doing it and that's what I do and I when I'm walking up a really steep hill that's what I'm saying I'm powerful I'm strong I'm loved I'm powerful I'm strong and I'm loved you know that's what I do you know and that that gets me that gets me up those hills physically and mentally mentally and emotionally just keep on saying that to myself and you know our, our mind has what's called a confirmation bias so while the majority of us well all of us have this negativity bias we're hardwired to remember the negative and all that kind of stuff we also have what's called a confirmation bias and the words we speak to ourselves matter so the fact that you're saying that I am powerful I am loved and have that kind of yeah. mantra your mind is picking yeah. that up and going oh yeah I'm going to find all of the reasons and more evidence to support that and that's yeah. how your beliefs start to change because the words you speak to yourself are kinder more compassionate more loving and your mind your subconscious mind is like I am going to help you and find all the evidence to support that so yeah. it's, it's the power power in the words Hazel, thank you so, 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 so much for your time, for your honesty, for your vulnerability, for your absolute nuggets of wisdom. You're an absolute (laughs) legend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kira. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're a blessing. Thank you very much. Thanks a million.